to Mesoamerican Studies on Air. My name is Katherine Wilde, and today we have a very special interview with Rita Palacios and Paul Worley. So, well, let's just dive on in. We are here to talk about your most recent book, but before we dive into the book, why don't you share with us a little bit about the backgrounds that you have and where you're both coming from? Sure. So I have a, I have a PhD in, in Latin American literature. I did, uh, for my dissertation, I worked on contemporary Guatemalan uh, indigenous literature. And since then, I've been working sort of on a bit of everything. Mostly, I tend to work a lot on poetry. And I, we met with Paul a little while ago. We started working on, on sort of um, poetry, but also weaving and other things we were seeing that were coming up in the, in the stuff we were interested in. So um, I'll, I'll just hand it over to Paul. But, but that's, so during the day, I'm a Spanish professor. And at night, I become a indigenous studies scholar. So that's me. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, and so I uh, have my doctorate in comparative literature from UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I'm now a, a professor of English, uh, oddly enough, at Western Carolina University in Western North Carolina, um, the ancestral territory of the Cherokee. You know, Rita and I have known each other for a number of years um, through the conference circuit. Um, my first book was on uh, Yucatec Maya literature and then kind of like trying to take a take a step back from there. Um, yeah, just conversations with Rita. I think um, you know we have a lot in common in terms of interests, uh, both theoretical and literary. And so it seemed like the next natural step, right? Like, hey, let's write this book together. Right, yeah. And I think it's such a fascinating concept. Reading through the different chapter summaries, I've really loved the way that you've brought this, this piece together. Um, so just for everyone else who's coming in today, the, the book is called Unwriting Maya Literature. Seeb as recorded knowledge. So what was it that sparked the idea of this book for you guys? <laughs> so this is, well, this is interesting. Well, one of the things when, when we started, I guess, going to each other's uh, talks and stuff at conferences, we noticed that we were sort of unhappy with a lot of the approaches that people were taking on, you know, in analyzing a lot of the, the literature coming out of um, Guatemala and Mexico. Um, a lot of it seemed really insufficient and we, and, I mean, I was pretty curious as to see what more was going on. And I, to me, it was never enough um, what was happening, uh, sort of putting a literary studies framework onto something like a poem or a novel didn't seem um, like it was doing, it, it was doing a, a, a disservice. And so, um, you know, we were always looking at sort of elsewhere for, to see what more was going on, what was going on. And Paul was sort of uh, doing the same thing. So that's how it kind of came together, this dissatisfaction <laughs> with, <laughs> with the norm and knowing that there was a lot more going on, especially when you get talking to these poets and these writers, they, you know, they, they, a lot of their, the topics they, they touch on have to do with weaving, they have to do with um, nature and all these things. And it's much more than just metaphors. And so, um, yeah, so we, we thought there's much more going on here. So I'll, I'll let Paul add to that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, with that, right, I mean, specifically, not necessarily um, dis dissatisfaction with the decolonial turn, like in a broad theoretical sense, right? But there is that moment in which, right, I mean, you know, indigenous knowledge is not in itself an abstract concept, right? I mean, th these are people who are employing these categories in their actual literary works, right, doing things with them. Um, and like Rita was saying, you know, when people are referring to their writing as weaving and things like that, um, you know, we have a tendency because we're reading it in translation 
both in terms of how we're understanding it as literature and, and also linguistically, you know, there's that temptation to only see it as metaphor. But if you look at it from, you know, the Maya, Maya concepts themselves, such as Tzib, right, um, both of them are participating broadly in the same kind of phenomenon. And, you know, we've talked about this before, right? You know, there's a certain moment at which, like, the idea of, you know, using T as a point of departure for this kind of analysis seems um, self-evident, if not overly obvious, <laughs> um, to a certain degree. Um, but it was something that no one else uh, was doing. Um, you know, there have been moments where folks are fairly resistant to it. Um, but one of the things that has uh, been really um, interesting to see, right, is the reactions of many of the writers and artists themselves, right, uh, when we've had the opportunity to talk about our work. Um, you know, and it's ranged from sort of, you know, well, of course, no kidding, right, <laughs> uh, to, you know, people who are really excited, right? And so it's, it's, it's really awesome, um, you know, to be involved like that and to be participating in those conversations and, you know, trying to put into practice a lot of the theoretical things that people are throwing out there right now. So what can you tell me about this concept of tzib? It's We know that it means writing, but for the ancient Maya, I know that it meant much more than that. It referred to art and lines. How, what definitions did you use to approach this project? Um, well, I think we've, in particular, right, and reader, please correct me if I'm reading any, uh, leaving anyone out. Um, Irma Otsoy, the Kashikel intellectual, um, Gaspar Pedro González, the uh, Mayak Anjobal uh, novelist, poet, intellectual, and writer, uh, Pedro Ukbe, um, who's a Yucatecan intellectual, uh, you know, also multimedia poet, writer, um, you know, involved in a number of different literary projects. All of them bring a lot to the table from a theoretical perspective. I'm defining Tzib um, as it is now, right? So, for example, um, uh, Ukbe is probably the most radical of the three, where he talks about um, the, the farmer's milpa, uh, is a form of tzib, right? And he connects mm -hmm. that back uh, with the classic Maya glyph that he sees um, as being basically a cleared space onto which, onto which one puts a mark. Um, you know, uh, Irma Otsoi talks about how you read the Kakpot uh, Wipil from San Juan Comalapa and how you write it uh, as you're weaving it. And then, of course, that's about Pedro Gonzalez, right? Um, has this really amazing... Um, snippet in his book called Kotzib, Nuestra Literatura Maya, where he basically, you know, just includes textile designs, right? It's just kind of a picture thrown in there, and right below it, it says, Otras formas de tzib, right? Other kinds of tzib. Mm. And so, you know, the fact that that's in there, right, these textile designs, in a book which is translating Kotzib, Nuestra Literatura Maya, it's a really subtle way of claiming textile designs for literature, right? Even though from a literary perspective, we typically don't think of that. So I'll kick it over to Rita. Yeah, I mean, and the other, this, the, you know, this, like you said, um, Catherine, it, this is, you know, it's an ancient concept and you mentioned it, I think you had a blog post about it yes. a little while ago. Yeah, um, so it's, it's, it's really neat because it is an ancient concept, yet when we talk about Maya literature, it's usually uh, talked about as a new phenomenon or this like mm -hmm. the new Maya literature as it, as it had never existed before. But when we look at Sieg, you can actually see that it's been it's been happening it's never it hasn't it hasn't stopped and restarted like we've had this it's just not in the same uh, perhaps manifestation right just because for, to make uh, or, or to do sieve you can use you all you need is a surface and something to to uh design on that surface mm. and so it really it leads to 
I mean, we work on contemporary stuff, but you can really do a lot more with this. If you, if you, if you take this concept and really play with it, you can do a lot more. And we also use three other concepts to talk about sort of the performance aspect of, of Zeep. Uh, because one of the things that we've noticed is that in the poetry, for example, there's a lot, there's a huge call for performance. Like the text isn't just what's written. There's a lot more going on. And, and a lot of these poets, sometimes they, you know, they will, they, they will uh, align their poetry with a performance, both on and off the page. And, and if you take that performance with the text, you end up with other meanings. In the conclusion of the book, you mentioned that, um, you mentioned a Maya poem that suggests that Maya people should walk towards the past and engage ancient writing as they're creating new writing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that conclusion and, and how you arrived at it? Um, I mean, this is something that, I mean, that is happening right now. Um, and you see it, for example, and I'm forgetting the other poet, um, the Tzeltal poet, who actually has an entire poem written in glyphs, right? In the style of, a, you know, Estella, right? In the two, um, like, couplets. But, you know, Negma Koi um, is probably one of the foremost uh, writer, author, artist, poets um, in terms of, like, her own process of recuperating um, that glyphic tradition. Um, she's published a number of poems that, for the moment, right, just include the glyphs in their title. And this is something that more and more people are doing, right? Um, I know um, Circe Sturm has this article, I think back in the 90s, talking about how Maya editorials like Chol Sama um, were, you know, there's this tradition of using, for example, long count dates to talk about the date when a book is published. And at the very least, that can be read symbolically by people mm -hmm. who don't know how to read the glyphs, right? And like, okay, that's the date, and I get it. Um, but more and more people are, you know, Maya writers are going back and they're engaging in this other artistic mm -hmm. tradition and trying to actually write poems um, and other things using glyphs. And of course, I mean, for me, you know, as a, somebody who's trained, you know, from graduate school, you know, from birth to graduate school as a Western literary critic, right? Um, what do you do with that? <laughs> right. in, in terms of, okay, so this is a poem now that we have, for example, in, in glyphs that we have in Kashikel and that we have in Spanish and maybe even an English translation. I mean, these are all radically different things, but then like, how do you as a critic even begin to presume to analyze the poem when it's written in glyphs, right? And I think it's, it's an amazing move. Um, and it's one that more and more people are using um, you know, Rita and I have talked a lot about the Facebook meme um, with the Tejedores in Guatemala, right? The, with, say, what is it? Um, uh, yeah, the Mujeres Apedes is this uh, yes. movement to sort of claim weavings. And they had, they had uh, one of the, the things, that, one of the posters that they were showing in the city was, uh, Estos son los libros que la colonia no pudo quemar. Mm. Right? So the idea that these are the books, these textiles that the colonies couldn't burn. Right. Right, and it's a super strong statement, but it's also really interesting because it ties back to that idea of seed, right, and writing and recording knowledge. Mm -hmm. That it's not, it's not just with the written word, right? It goes beyond that, and and there is a tradition, right? Like you look, and there is a tradition. It it it's not this new thing that just popped up. Right, it's something that's been going on. It's really great to see it gaining more traction or um, more attention than it's had in the past. So. What were some of the challenges that you came up against while you were putting this book together? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think a lot of it for me anyway, was wrapping my head around some of these concepts because you really have to sort of abandon what you've been taught, <laughs> right? To, to mm -hmm. sort of 
use these fancy theories from you know these russians and these french and whatever like you have you know just abandoning all that that you know and and opening your mind and accepting all these other concepts that are very complex and they're they're you know they're not our own so you know wrapping our head around that and being really humble as well to be able to receive them mm -hmm. uh, so that for, that for me was a challenge i mean it was a good challenge because i enjoyed it um but it's not it's not easy to to do mm -hmm. anyway. yeah and i think it also to a certain extent right um it, it can freak some people out right um because you're not for example you're not as reliant you know on the russians and the french and everyone you know that that rita's talking about um because I mean, what we're really trying to do is, you know, develop a contemporary literary criticism that's much more in dialogue with, you know, Maya thought, Maya writers and intellectuals. Um, and one of the things, right, I mean, we presented this, uh, the book down at the, uh, the Filgua this year, and um, Irma Otsoi, who is one of the theorists that we talk about in the book, um, we invited her as, you know, a Maya intellectual who can also read English to present the book with us. And this is, you know, this is playing without a net, right? Right. <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, we're, we're, you know we're, we're trying to do all of this as people who are non-Maya, obviously, writing from the U.S. and Canada. Um, but at the same time, right, I think, you know, as a challenge, I think it's, you know, that's something that more and more, um, something that all of us, uh, particularly those of who, is, who write in North America, need to rise to the challenge of, right, is going back, sharing this knowledge in community and with these communities, uh, making sure that we're always uh, in dialogue with um, these communities, um, because there's always a dynamic of power there, right? Right. And, you know, and having Irma um, come up and, you know, give commentary on the book um, was, you know, one of the most exhilarating, but also one of the most nerve wracking 30 minutes. <laughs> that I don't know, I've had, I, I don't know how you felt it better. It, but it was nerve wracking, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Cause I mean, again, I mean, she's, you know, can you curse on your podcast? Right? I was say, like, she's the shit, right? I mean, she's amazing. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, and so it was so great, um, you know, to, to have her there, right? I mean, the, the fact that she would even entertain you know, yes, I will come and I will do this with y'all um, with such an incredible honor. Yeah. You know, like you said, that is, it is a challenge, but a rewarding one. Tell me a little bit about the conclusions that came about as part of your research. What's new and exciting about what you're putting together besides everything that we've already mentioned? <laughs> well, for me, and I'll, I'll start. <laughs> yeah, 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 go for, for me, it. It was kind of like leaving the door open, actually. I don't feel, our conclusions were more like, you know, closing remarks because we had to, <laughs> in a way. But I feel like we just kind of opened the door and it, things, I don't, for me, uh, you know, we spent some time in, in, in Chichot, in Comalapa, uh, when we were in, in Guatemala this summer. And we were exposed to sort of a whole new aspect of Tzib. And it was pretty amazing. So, so I think, you know, there's a lot to do here. I think we're just getting started with this stuff. And, and you know, and I can't wait to see what other people do as they, they look at things more closely from, you know, from um, a perspective that is more respectful and aligns more closely with, with the people who are producing this stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, I think that'll be, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to do. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate what Rita's saying, I mean, you know, when you kind of flip the whole literary thing on its head, right, I mean, it completely opens up, um, you know, a completely different field of study, um, you know, looking at this from this other theoretical perspective. And, you know, like, I mean, 
we're talking about like just what C possibly encompasses, right? I mean, it's literally everything from, you know, painted vases to codices to, you know, calling Ukbe, um, the layouts of uh, classic Maya cities, you know, all of this, right? And the way it lends itself to performance, I mean, you know, is a, is a way to rethink um, how we experience contemporary Maya literatures. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what folks uh, do with it. Yeah, and especially when it is so different from literary theory that has been developed on the other side of the world. For sure, and I, I was going to mention that actually, you know, one of the things that is actually really interesting is that a lot of the stuff that is being produced, it, I mean, you get you get stuff from, you know, the like editorials, right? You get, you know, the Casa de la Cultura and uh, Chosamaj and all those, you get that. But a lot of the stuff is also happening in like a, a much smaller scale. Mm -hmm. and and all of that stuff is super interesting and it tends to be overlooked because it's so hard to get a hold of half the time just because there isn't you know the the, the infrastructure to like move it around and actually have it available so um yeah i think um yeah for for you know people who are starting on this on this this trip this amazing trip of, of uh, maya cultural production uh it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting but it's also gonna be really challenging because you have to sort of keep your finger on the pulse to see what's happening and to see what's being produced. I mean, um, uh, Manuel Sok, he just came out with a beautiful uh, poetic book object and he only made 50 copies. And I'm sure, you know, they'll, they'll probably move really quickly. And he, he sort of uh, did a recording of the whole process. He, he did little videos of, of how he was putting this thing together and it looks, it looks beautiful. And I'm, I'm waiting for my copy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I already, I already got my copy. Um, but you know, so so that kind of thing, that's really hard to get. And it's 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 difficult being, you know, with the distance and everything, but also having, you know, those connections are it's super important. So anyone who's sort of starting with this, um, I can't I can't emphasize enough how important it is to start sort of uh, nurturing those relationships and, and making sure you're constantly connected because it happens fast. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing, it happens quite fast. And if you if you blink, you might miss it. <laughs> The, yeah, the process has been, it, it was a ton of fun. It was, I can't, yeah, everyone should be collaborating. It's so much fun. It's it's quite challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Um, the, these kind of projects are interesting because in our field, you don't often see collaborations. You, you won't see, like, it's mostly single authored uh, books. You never see um, two authors on a book. You might see, you know, collections of essays or that kind of thing, but you never see this, this kind of thing, which is, it's an absolute pity because I think uh, the book came out really strong because Paul could bring in uh, what he knows about uh, Mexico and I could do Guatemala, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and it, it, I think it really, really worked. I think it worked really, really well because we could talk across, um, you know, those, those disciplinary borders as well as uh, sort of geographical borders. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it came out that much better for it. I mean, as, as for, as for collaborating, I mean, you, you have to find someone you get along with and I think we get along. So, <laughs> so that kind of worked. Uh, we also, and this, this, uh, I, I often mention, which is, I don't know, I guess it, it's a, both a point of pride and shame, uh, but we are Facebook scholars. A lot of the work got done <laughs> via Facebook messaging. Um, I think most of the revisions and a lot of the sort of, a lot of the cursing and swearing got done through um, <laughs> Facebook messaging. It was actually quite incredible. And like I said, it's like sort of a point of pride and shame at the same time, but mostly pride. It was like over 75,000 messages. Yeah, something like that. Obscene. 
but it got done and I think that's why it got done because it was constant right like going you know and and half the time it was just it's those things you you get to a point you're trying to express one of these ideas and they're so these concepts are so complex right that you you kind of end up in the void and you're not sure if you what you're doing makes sense anymore so Mm -hmm. so it's really nice to have someone just sort of right there Mm -hmm. to to either rein you back in or or yeah yeah, I remember one um, conversation in particular we had. It was a, a wheatfield from Oschuk that I was trying to um, place within. The, so Chip Morris, who's the great scholar of Chiapanecan uh, textiles, passed away today. Oh, he did, yeah. Um, yes. And which is a, such an incredible loss, um, you know, just in general, right? He's a, an absolutely um, incredible human and, you know, just his work in the field is, you know, foundational, right, for, you know, not only working with textiles, but placing them at different moments within Tib, um, and, you know, putting these, uh, this knowledge into a context that folks like us who read books um, can engage with and try to start understanding. Um, but there was a moment where I had this one, uh, I think it was four or five wipiles uh, from Ostuk that I was trying to place within what he talks about, the calendrical significance of, um, different patterns and uh, i think this was like a, a frantic like i can't remember if we were just on messenger or how we were doing it rita but i remember you were like no it's just not there <laughs> it's just not there um and it was it was one of those moments right they were like yeah like rita's right um and you don't get that if you're just like the lone uh, you know person with your manuscript writing this out um, and yeah, like Rita was saying, I mean, I think the entire manuscript and the entire project um, is so much stronger for it. And of course, it was a real blast, right? Because this meant that, um, you know, conferences uh, the past few years, bars, alcohol, hanging out, all that kind of good stuff. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute blast uh, putting it together. Yeah. And it, I mean, f- just from what I've seen so far, it's, it, I definitely can see what you're talking about. It really seems to be a really strong well put together project and i i congratulate you both on it. it's a fantastic thing Thanks. awesome thank you yeah well thank you so much for joining me today it's been really great talking to both of you and i look forward to speaking to you again in the future awesome thanks likewise yeah thank you <laughs> unwriting mind literature is available now for purchase please check it out it's a spectacular read i know you'll love it We're close coming to the end of season one of Mesoamerican Studies on air. We have a few episodes left, but I really hope that you'll join me for the rest of this season and for the beginning of season two coming out at the beginning of 2020. We're going to have a brand new format with new material and new interviews. In the meantime, thank you again for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week when we speak with Jonathan Rangel about his work documenting the language of Ayapaneco. Thanks, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.